This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, welcome to the pod. I'm going to get straight into this guest because he is a legend. I could have spent literally all day speaking to Joel Jackson, amazing actor, producer, writer, musician, ripper, singing voice, and he's taught himself to dance as well. For a part, he was cast as Peter Allen and he taught himself to tap dance for two hours every day in his garage. This guy is super open, such a legend, obviously very, very talented. He's won a Logie and an Actor Award, trained at NIDA, worked in theatre, worked in TV, worked in mega movies. Uh, He's already lived the actor's dream and he's still super, super young. He's currently shooting season two of Miss Fisher's Modern Mysteries and he's one of those guys that I was like, just one more question. Just one more question, and by the end of it, I was like, can we please be friends? Even at the very end, boss, my boyfriend, Matt, was like, oh, gee, he's pretty handsome. So you are in for such a treat with Joel Jackson, actor extraordinaire, and just downright Aussie legend as well. Big love. I am so chuffed to have you here today. Joel Jackson I don't even know how to introduce you because you have done (laughs) so many things. You're an actor, you're a singer-songwriter, you're a writer, you're a producer. Holy mackerel, you've done so much. I just, should we just start with NIDA? Yeah, you can start with NIDA, yeah. I mean, and and thank you, P.S., and thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I often (laughs) have that thing when people are like, so what are you? You're like, well, I'm kind of, yeah. When when we refer to like slashies and artists and, I mean, especially with yourself too, when people try to make you define yourself, you're like, well, I'm just, I'm kind of me and I yeah. can fit the boxes, you know, That which is, um, I don't know, it's strange within these days too to try to be like, um, like what box do you fit to take something else or get, but it's like, well. You're creative. Like, yeah, and creator and creative and I like to be learning and challenge yeah. myself. So sometimes I'll pick up one mantle and I'll drop the other and, yeah, I think, Yeah. But so I my, get confused sometimes trying to. No, I, it's like I, I mentioned this right before we hit record. It's been such a dream to research you because you've done your plethora of work for such a young person is incredible. And I have so many questions. But the thing that kind of really warmed my heart, I saw Thank in an you. interview, your mum picked your monologue for the audition for NIDA. <laughs> is that true? And literally before we started, she was the first person to, yeah, she called. Yes. Um, yeah, it's true. My mum. Uh, has been very pivotal behind all of this stuff. Um, I I did a little bit of like one or two little community theatre things back in the day, but really kind of minuscule. If if you asked anybody back then, it was like, no, Joel was a singer. Joel was a musician. Um, but my mum, before we'd even moved up to Karatha, when we were living in Albany, she worked as a projectionist at a local cinema of an evening. And every time she kind of came home from 
one of the bigger movies when they released, she would bring a poster or... Oh, awesome. You know, so we had Unforgiven up on the walls or Land Before Time, the -the glow-in-the-dark stickers of the footprints, you know, and I think that stuff kind of sunk in and then we'd go to Blockbuster or Video Easy and pick up a couple of things, you know, most weekends or whatever and she would go, hey, maybe watch that or maybe watch this or maybe we get this foreign film or maybe, you know, maybe watch SBS for a weekend or, you know, so that... Her her kind of drive and artistic uh, um, mindset really kind of influenced me early on, and then yeah, she picked the monologues that would be the ones that we did for NIDA because I had no idea. I'd never, yeah, so didn't good. I didn't read read the plays, and and she sorry, I bang the mic, but she um, was also working in a library at that time, so it was kind of had all the resources. The resources, at yeah. I auditioned for NIDA and I remember I walked into the audition and they're like, you are an alligator and you walk in the room. Yeah, I had to walk in the room and be an alligator straight out of the gate. They saw you and like, you're an alligator. No. It's like, what? (laughs) Straight out of the gate and I was like probably like 17 years old and I was like, like, and I'd just been straight out of like Catholic girls' school, like done theatre at school but had no experience with the audition process from what I've read about you, it sounds like you might have got in first go with Nida. Yeah, annoyingly, yeah. Which is pretty rare. Like a lot of people go back four, five, six times, right? My best friend who was the year below me went seven years in a row. Wow. And the year that he got in, he was going to give up. And and one of the teachers emailed him and said, are you auditioning this year? And he went, ah, oh, no. And I said, yeah, we'll come back and audition. And he'd done like two degrees in that time and was like, you know, and was teaching full-time and had a full-time job and was like, nah, I've given up and, um, yeah, got in. We met and I'm like, yeah, how did you, like, what was your story? It's like seven years. What about you? I'm like, ah, oh, never really read a play and just kind of oh. thought I'd do it. <laughs> wow, because your background was pretty athletic. Like you had your bronze medallion, you were really into like all the sports from what I can gather and then you've just, I don't know, it seems like you've kind of just like maybe your mum's influence and you've gone, let's just give this a crack. It obviously lit you up in some way. Yeah, it was It was kind of strange. I mean, I was playing state country representative for WA in, in uh, European football, so I was left yep. winger for the WA awesome. team and was training down south in, in Perth trying to get on the Colts team of Swan Districts, which is the waffle team. And, okay. You know, <laughs> it was, yeah, it didn't... It, it, it was that annoying thing even now, like when you talk about those titles, even back then I really didn't know. I had passion for so many things and it wasn't like whatever I put my hand to, it just worked. I worked hard on lots of things but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the acting stuff, sure, it lit a fire but it was something that was also very new to me and still remained new. It wasn't something where you'd get out of the field and you had to play a position and you had to play that thing. This is what you were in acting it, it seemed as though it could be effervescent. It could be there for the first time and then never exist again. There wasn't a scoreboard. There wasn't mm. hard and fast rules. You could, it, it was really malleable and so that first experience with it made me go, oh, okay, there's something here. I got into Whopper and NIDA and then I made the decision to actually go to NIDA because I wanted to be further in that deep end and, and oh, really wow. discover what it was and I think... I didn't take for granted that thing of being a kid from a very small town who'd never had access to those kind of teachers or mentors or, or indeed like libraries and those, you know, all those plays and all those philosophical books or like theatre. You know, I remember going to theatre for the first time and going once a week or twice a week. 
that kind of stuff, it really just drew me in. And now I think, I still think I'm an apprentice. Like I still think I'm that guy. Oh, but that's um, such a beautiful place to live from too because I think it keeps you so – I've heard you say in a few interviews like super open and being open is kind of like a bit of a superpower to have. Is it true that you went pretty much from NIDA into Deadline Gallipoli? Yeah, it would have been – I came out and had about oh, – I went back home and worked on the mines again for over that Christmas period of three months and I came back and got a landscaping job at UNSW um, and that was probably, yeah, because in that period in December I did the audition with mum and dad, did the self-test. Is this like on lobster crates or something? That's Is the that, one. Yeah. Yeah, you have done. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you have done your research. Like tip of the cap to you. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I just have, it, I, one, I feel having any creative on and having your kind of body of work, there's so many things in here and I'm training in acting at the moment too. So I'm just like, whoa, and I to saw hear you doing someone's... your accent work too. Like, Oh, I've kudos. actually watched, I've just watched your um, stage milk on mastering an accent <laughs> and I cannot wait to talk about it with Jungle with you in a sec. Yeah, true, true. Because, yeah, I just think one thing that I've learned at, at drama school is they the kind of, the line in the corridor is pretend you're at the Olympics, train like you're at the Olympics. Yeah. So the work ethic thing, and I think why not put it into every part of your life? Yeah, and and, and in that way of um, understanding too that there will be massive setbacks. Yeah. Like even before COVID happened, there has been enormous setbacks. Uh, You've been in, you know, and, and you think about it in the Olympics, that's a really beautiful way to think about it, just jumping on that metaphor. Like four years of training, maybe one or two competitions or, you know, you've got your trial competitions before yeah. you get to the Olympics and your nationals and your states. Yeah. But then you've got your Olympics and they only come around every four years. Yeah. You might have an injury that takes you out of it. There might be an accident. You might, you know, some, you can never plan for the, those things. But the the chance to kind of get that run on the board and to represent, like at the moment I had something that was to me my Olympic and then because of COVID and the way schedules have worked out, I've had to pull out. Mm. And it's devastating. But you go, okay, well, I've been doing this a long time. Not not a long, long time, but been doing it long enough that the Olympics will come around again. Totally, totally. I like that. That's really good. And I really want to talk a bit about Deadline Gallipoli because you were playing Charles Bean, right, a character who real. we're talking real life here, like real life. Yeah hero in in many ways and I was lucky enough to see a fair few clips online and there's this one clip that just sticks with me and I think it's, is it called the battle of the neck yeah yep and your character is so it's so devastating to watch dude like it's so <laughs> heartbreaking because these these men are just kind of like giving their themselves over and to just be slaughtered pretty much um and, and like I'd known about Charles Bean I remember writing a see this is the weird thing of my timeline, some of the things just really work out too well. Yeah. Um, Like I wrote an essay on Charles Bean at school when I was, I think, 15 or something and it was for a state competition that would then fund you to go to Gallipoli Uh, for the Anzac Day service, uh, for the Dawn service. And I won it and written about Charles Bean and the way that he wrote poetry and, and drew there on Gallipoli and what materials he used and how he crafted the kind of mythology of the Anzacs. And then that funding for that thing fell through, so I never got to do it. 
Really? Yeah. And then, you know, the story of well, my audition process for Deadline Gallipoli was a tiny role of a doctor that had two pages. And then over a five-month period that was going back in for different characters and Greg Apps, amazing casting director, going, there's something here but we don't know where you are. So mm. let's just find out where you go. And then, you know, you do your best and you go, okay, well, I've done enough, let's walk away. And you go and have a weekend away with a mate and go watch Queens of the Stone Age or something. And you wake up to an email from your agent going, hey, where are you? Can you learn this <gasps> thing for tomorrow? You've got to come in. Um, and it's, you know, reading alongside Sam Worthington for the lead oh. role, going, what? Awesome. So, but but that story in itself, like knowing so much about Gallipoli and um, having had family members on Gallipoli and, yeah. and then later at the Somme and stuff, you just the scale, the magnitude, and then you're there actually in person with 200 men all dressed up as diggers and stunties mm. doing stunts. You've got uh, replica machine guns on the other side firing blanks so that there is a visual and oral mm. kind of thing there and you're doing it all for real and you're actually in trenches that are higher than you. It, those kind of productions don't come around often and that uh, if you do the work, it's kind of minimal. If you do the work prior, there's kind of minimal work on the day. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. Yeah. That, they say a lot in acting like do the work, do the work and then let it go and just be present in the moment. Totally. And, and, and you've got to trust that you've got Jeff Hall who is one of our best cinematographers. You've got Michael Reimer who created Battlestar Galactica and shot had, like did Hannibal with Hugh Dancy and um, and you just got to go, I'm in amazing hands. And I think that as being my first thing that I did was a really good experience because I I had no idea what was happening, let's be mm. honest. Like I didn't have a technique. <laughs> but if you look at it, I mean, you nailed it, my friend. Oh, like it, it was, yeah, I, it, it looked like a beautiful but heartbreaking thing to be a part of and so important in our history as well. But I have to ask, being a massive Game of Thrones fan oh, yeah, and yeah, working yeah. with Tywin Lannister, Charles Dance, is he as amazing in real life? Because he seems quite funny. In, like I've watched a few interviews with him and he is pretty hilarious. He's a cracker. I remember I had my 23rd birthday on set and um, he we, we all went out for a bit of a dinner. We were out in the middle of nowhere and... Um, he rocks up and he's wearing his the Babylon tour, the Rolling Stone shirt, and just like <laughs> super rad dude sitting down next to me. And he's like, So, John, well, like, what's your story? And we had a bit of a chat, and he's like, Okay, man. He's like, Go and get a bottle from the cellar or something. We're in Adelaide, so there's all these beautiful wineries around. I'm like, Oh, yeah, okay. And he's like, Yeah, it's on it's the birthday, it's on me. I'm like, uh, Okay, sure. So I go down with the sommelier and we're walking through, and I'm like, Oh, maybe just that one. And it's like a $100 bottle of wine or something. And that to me was like, Boy, that's, you know, yeah. that's pretty exy. Still is, you know. Um, and come back up, he's like, How much? And turns into like, How much? It's 100. He's like, no, 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 go back downstairs. <laughs> and you're like, Fuck. Okay. Like, he, and then I came back and he was talking to people at the bar who was trying to get people my age to come and hang out at the table to hang out with me on my birthday. Like, Aww. he was the sweetest dude. Um, yeah, beyond, and I'd never seen Game of Thrones. So he was he's getting amazing. hounded by people and he he's just amazing. sat there. He, yeah, I've just seen it now and he's insane. But even when I was going over to London and trying to do that and before I went over and got my agent there, I was emailing him and asking for advice or where to stay or what to do and he found like a little place with a friend and he's, he's um. not only, you know, they're phenomenal people. You, it doesn't happen often that you meet 
people, like I'd known him from The Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he plays the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that to me was like my geek out moment. Um, (laughs) But it's not often that you meet your heroes in this industry and they are, you know, exceptional human beings. And he's hilarious. Like he's cheeky, so cheeky. Yeah, he's got that British charm, doesn't he? Oh, so good. (laughs) So good. And so just intelligent. And I I think I'm really thankful and I'm, I know I'm talking about a lot, but that experience, a lot of people talk about other things, but that to me is my favourite because you're working with Hugh Dancy and Charles Dance and I had a couple of, a lot of scenes with those guys, but because of that, you're learning that English sensibility of acting where there's not much being said. Everything is really internal, really subtle, really like the most intelligent choices because Mm. it's, you know, they're thinking about the smartest person in the room rather than, just kind of doing what they want to do. It, it's a really big awareness. And Hugh would dance. He had studied, I think he studied English and philosophy at Oxford and his father was an on-campus philosopher. Like, Oh, wow. Remarkably yeah. intelligent. You know? Yeah. That was a blessing. <sighs> I could talk about that, just that project for you, this entire podcast, but I <laughs> am going to try and like stick to my notes here. Okay, good. I'll try to shut up too. I'll try to No, up. I love it. I love it. You just keep going. <laughs> Peter Allen not the boy next door, you for that had to become a triple threat. So I know that mm. you can sing. I you, I think you taught yourself to dance. You bought yourself tap dance. Yeah, I got I got tap dance shoes and, and taught myself how to dance with a, a metronome in a shed, just kind of going over steps and getting it faster every day and like a chalkboard on the wall being like, okay, yesterday you did it at this BPM. You've got to get to that <sighs> BPM at the end. So where are you? Um, and we did have a, a dance instructor on but a lot of that stuff was like, to me, it was it, whenever you do those things, yeah, you can step through rhythms and step through the movements, but you can't not think about it in an embodiment, in an embodiment thing. It's not you doing those steps, it's him doing those steps. So same thing, do it all by rote and then kind of throw it out the door so that you can just throw on the Peter suit and yeah. move as him. Um, Is it true you had to fight to sing the songs? Like as <laughs> yeah. yourself, yeah. Can you share yeah, that? that? Yeah, that was interesting. Um, and so I even had to fight to get in the room. I mean, the audition process was I put down my own self test and sent it to my agent to then push through the door, mm-hmm. um, which was me lip syncing to a two and a half minute thing of Peter at the Sydney Opera House, and then doing um, a, a, a verse and a chorus of one of, of one of his songs and sending that in and being mm. like, hey, could I, I know where this is getting funding and I know this is going ahead, so can we push for this? Um, and Sean Seat, the director, later said, I'm like, don't ever stop doing that stuff because that made me cast you in that. Ah. Because he'd seen it and goes, I want to see that guy. And everyone else was like, well, no, hang on, we've got these ten people. And he goes, no, no I want to see, can we at least get that guy in? Give him a chance. And that led to me getting more and more opportunities. Um, and in that thing, just because we are speaking to acting and what is it, is it like the process of winning those things? Mm. I knew that everybody, because they said come in with one of his songs, I knew that everybody would be doing When I Go to Rio or yeah. Still Call Australia Home. So yeah. I found one of the obscure song writing <laughs> ones. I heard. Yeah, it, like your one, stuff was all B-side, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all B-sides <laughs> because I'm going... I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm yeah. going to I'm going to give you what I want to do with Peter. And if if it doesn't work out that's okay, but the the goal with that kind of stuff is to then make them 
like they go, oh, we're seeing a different side of Peter that we didn't know about other than what the kind of stock standard interpretation is. I think there's a beautiful thing as actor to choose that choice that isn't necessarily going to be like mm. the first choice, which I think is always going to get you um, recognised. Um, now, now this yeah, role fighting for the song. won you an actor award True. and a Logie, is that correct? True, yeah. Um, Pretty impressive. Yeah, insane. And then... Uh, Charles Bean from Deadline Gallipoli was nominated in the same yeah. categories for the same wow. things. So, yeah, a lot of lot of stick being thrown at me from my household. Is like, there, because both, both characters obviously being, and the next project I want to ask about, Jungle, they're all real-life characters. Is there some sense of, oh, shit, like I've got a lot to hold up to here, like I want to do these humans justice? 150%. And... Even the thing I was talking about where I had to pull out, that was another real human being. And um, I think majority, I've actually kind of, it only just last project did Mystery Road kind of carry over the statistics of me playing more real people than I played make-believe people. Oh, wow. Um, Which is insane. But there is a responsibility and there is um, uh, a respect that you want to pay. There is an annoying thing in your mind as altruistic human being who wants to do everything right by that character and do them exactly as they are, mm. but knowing that you actually have to stick to a script and knowing that it's a dramatisation, not a documentary. And that is a really, really interesting conversation that you have with people after the fact. You know, like mm. Charles Bean wasn't at the landing in Gallipoli when the when it was being bombed or shot, shot mm. at. But gotcha. for dramatic reasons, it's, it's totally. more eventful if he's there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and certain things with Peter where I'm going as the study geek and going, that never happened. And ah. production's going, yeah, but we need it for the story. You're like, oh, okay, sure. Um, but in that too, it, it's a wonderful thing when you're collaborating with other actors. You've got Sigrid Thornton who also, I think, yeah, Sigrid won the actor for her portrayal of Judy Garland. Ah, oh, she was Sarah wonderful. Minnelli. Yeah, Rebecca Gibney is my mother. Um, what a cast. Um, Oh, what a like cast. huge. And even, you know, Rob Mills and you've got Christy Willem-Brown and the list can go on and on about uh, all these people that are incredible artists in their own right. Um, mm. That That's a really beautiful thing of letting them craft their own characters too and you can't get in your own head of when you see that character and go, not how I expected her to be or not how I expected him to be. It's totally. Got to respect everyone's portrayal. Um <sighs> Totally. And with Siggy on set, like I had to not be around her because she was so real to me. Oh, but you could feel that even as yeah. a cons- someone consuming it. I was like, oh, wow. It made me feel like I was an imposter. So I had to be away from her until they called action. And then it was like, okay, let's play. Because then I'd walk back and you'd look at her and go, man, I'm not even on that level. She's just phenomenal. Um I think you are, really... but that's a very nice, humble thing to say. <laughs> but do you get imposter syndrome as an actor and as All a young time. actor? All the yeah. time. And I think um, I even get it because I, I've, I'm hyper aware of the industry in my eyes sometimes is like a rich person's game. Um, and I'm hyper aware of where I came from and that being the complete opposite. And also what my ideals are and, and kind of... Um, yeah, Some, sometimes you, you, especially in, in Los Angeles and that kind of room of being the biggest thing in the room, I'm like, well, I don't want to be that. Like I'm a tall guy and I'm a big human, but I don't necessarily want to be that. I just want to be a storyteller and mm. a compassionate human. So 
sometimes you feel like you're trying to fill the thing of, or did, you know, as a, as a younger guy, trying to fill that thing to get ahead with your career, but uh, you've got to then go back to yourself. So it's a constant struggle, but I like that struggle. It helps the art form in a way. I actually heard you on another podcast say in Hollywood it is like this charm and the first two goes you're like, I didn't get it right. Like I mm. was caught up, not caught up, but like feeling like I needed to be this persona or charm and I think that from what you said in this interview, like eventually it's just like you rock up and you've done the work and you just give it your best shot and you kind of let go of all that. Is that yeah, right? To- and totally. And and I think that's even the same as here Yeah. too, you know, like and I've slowly begun to learn that thing of there is no better portrayal than the portrayal of just being you. Mm. Don't try to I, – I, I still think that there's a lot of me being a very country kid trying to do certain things here and – um you know, being on the road for, you know, almost a decade now, there's a certain thing that you try to give assurances of of certain things or um, of what you're doing or what's going on. But at the end of the day, just being you is going to be the best thing for that thing. Totally. And oh, I, it's like your superpower, being yeah, real. Totally. And I've been saying it for years or like, you know, backing it for years and it's and then you start going, oh, you're not listening, man. Um, it's interesting. It's. I, I feel like you're in a very lucky spot to be at such a young age to have felt such success and worked on such amazing projects. It's almost like you're growing up. Like you're at that wonderful age where you you you're not like a child. You're not in your teens or you know you kind of did it in that early twenties where you're kind of figuring stuff out. You're smart enough to know a bit of who you are. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got this yeah. magic age. I really. I feel. I. I feel really excited for you seeing everything you've done oh, and then you. what's to come. But Jungle, so I watched Jungle last night. Oh, how did you go? Um, I did not expect the fate for Marcus. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. So, but I also watched, as I mentioned on Stage Milk, your like accent advice because Marcus's character, your character as Marcus had a Swiss, Swiss German accent. Is that right? Yeah, Swiss German, yeah. And... So for you to get in, I I watched the for you to get into this accent. Two things: one, you read Swiss fairy tales out loud. Uh-huh. Is that right? Because yeah. you were also a teacher, so that kind of gave you that softness. Yeah, and... his his role in real life in back in Switzerland was a primary school teacher. And the other thing, you had a trigger phrase. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, you're dead right. Um, uh, that, go. Yeah, I was doing that. Don't hurt me. I'm full of chocolate. Yeah. From from Gunter from uh, Simpsons. Yes, correct. And I remember I remember telling Thomas Kretschmann that, who's a real German in real life, who plays Karl Ruprecht yes. in in the thing, and he was like, "Who's saying what?" I'm <laughs> saying I'm saying, you know, don't be full of chocolate. He's like, "Don't don't say that ever again." <laughs> but it's true, like those kind of that. Um, and I remember one of the biggest influences was listening to like Roger Federer. Of course, you know, and and picking things that are interesting. Kind of amic- like picking interesting jumping off points. So, uh, same as Peter Allen. Peter Allen had three different accents for the whole entire thing. It was Australian, um, Peter Broadway, and then Peter once he'd met his partner who was a Texan, and that was Peter Broadway Texan. Wow. So, you're going, okay, well, how do I get that and have fun with it? I'll use Sam Shepard and mm. the way that he talks and his kind of drawl with someone like um, Bob Fosse. And then Peter, 
and and you're kind of linking those things together to find interesting ways where you'll still be inspired because it's a lot of work, mm. but you'll still be inspired every day to go, yeah, I'll find that thing. Or, um, it, but a lot of us stayed in accent for the whole entire film. I know that Daniel and I did because he was doing an Israeli uh, international yeah. accent, which was remarkable. Yeah. So two questions on the accent thing. One of my teachers at school, Ian Sinclair, who's like big in the theatery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ian and Sinclair. He's, he says to my, and we're doing Tennessee Williams this term, so we've all got to have southern Ooh, accents. How nice. And he says it takes about six weeks to master an accent yeah, properly. Properly. And, and, I mean, I still get up every day. I didn't this morning because I'm, I'm waiting for my car to come across from Melbourne. I'm in Perth, so... I'm on buses to get to the gym and stuff. So that is just like a, uh, a drag because it's, you know, 40 minutes down the At train. At least you're not in lockdown though, man. No, I'm know, in Victoria and it's oh, are you? crazy. I'm I in Torquay though. So I'm oh, a, oh, that's right. Yes. I'm half in lockdown. We're kind of in this weird pseudo stage three lockdowns. We're a lot yeah. luckier than Melburnians. But, yeah, smart move um, getting out. But my question about the accent is did you – when you say you stayed in it, did you stay in your accent? So like, you'd wake up in the morning, you'd st- you'd do your vocal warm up, and you just stay in accent, even like on lunch breaks. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, the the great thing was there. You're not in Australia. You're not surrounded by friends. We're not having to go necessarily interact with you. You're in Colombia, and so the majority of your crew and people that you're around on a day to day basis were Colombian. Right. They don't know what you sound like. Yeah. They've never met you. <laughs> And so you roll in after doing, you know, four weeks or six weeks of work by yourself and you get there and they're like, oh, that's kind of just what Joel does. No, oh, cool, whatever. Because um, there's a lot of that weird stigma thing of, I mean, even on the last thing, myself and a couple of other guys were staying in accent and there were others who weren't and the comments were like, what are you doing? Like stop being, stop trying to be the teacher's pet. And you're like, I'm not trying to be the teacher's pet. I'm literally just doing this for me. Totally. I have a, another teacher at this school, at I train at 16th Street, and he's Cody Fern, and he has to have American yeah. accent for well, assassination of Gianni Versace, American Horror Stories, and he's like, I get up two hours before I need to be on set, I do all my vocal warm-ups, I rock up on set, and I am 100% in my American accent. Totally. And, and same goes even if you're doing like a two-page self-test. Yeah. You'll be doing it. And I want to work in the UK. I've got my UK visa and a UK agent, so I'll get up every day and it's a half-hour vocal warm-up and then you're reading, you know, some beautiful Beckett or you're (sighs) reading some other stuff or you're reading the sonnets and you're reading, you know, Shakespeare's sonnets uh, and you're doing regional accents. So you go, for a week I'll do South, for a week I'll do North, then I'll do London Earth, then I'll do RP. But it's that thing of it's it's a toolkit and same as stretching, same as... Working out, same as anything. If you if you're just kind of doing it mindlessly, you won't make an improvement. But if you are stepping up and and one percent every day, I got a massive uh, love affair with the military mindset. Not with what militaries do, but more with what they're capable of doing for people. I think there was a Marine Corps veteran, uh, one of the generals. He spoke at the Harvard uh, conclusion speeches or whatever they are. And he began with, if you want to change the world, start by doing one thing every day and that one thing is making your bed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because if you do that task, it then adds on to the rest of your day. Totally. And it's not about improving 100% every day, it's 1%. Um, and that over a lifetime is an accrual of all these, all these techniques and all this awareness and all this uh, learning. So, yeah, I think it's important to, as an actor to realise that that stuff only works if you do. 
Totally, totally. Can I ask one more question? I saw a behind the scenes of Jungle and it was like a scene where Daniel Radcliffe had finished shooting for the day or was on a shooting break and he's just sitting there signing autographs for local kids. Yeah, man. Was it that? Was there a lot of that like Harry Potter love? So much. And I'd give him... I had so much respect for that man because I didn't know what to expect. You walk into the room and he's the first person who greets you for the script read and it's like, hi, Joel, how are you? Mm. I just saw this and he'd made a point of watching something of all of ours to then make it easier for us to become, for him to like wash that off. A massive respect. And again, you know, remarkably intelligent human being, the people that were tutoring on set for Harry Potter you know, were Oxford scholars and stuff yes. and, you know, so we'd read everything and we had massive philosophy kind of um, chats because I'm a geek with the Stoics and he loved that. But you'd be rolling into town in remote communities. We'd shoot somewhere, then we'd sleep for three hours, get in the buses, drive all night to somewhere else, sleep in the bus, get off, get makeup on, shoot. Mm. And at 5 o'clock in the morning or whatever, there's kids wearing you know, like a carpet as a cape and granddad's glasses and a stick as a wand and like a hand-drawn Harry Potter thing. And he'd make the time and the effort to go and visit every single one of them. And mm. it, it kind of blew me away because it could have been so easy to go, no, I'm just busy. Yeah, what a legend. Yeah, but what a, what a guy. Like yeah. sincerely, we shot one scene in a, in a really beautiful town um, called um, Rio Preto, like Black River, and there was this beautiful old uh, courtyard and church that had been there forever and we were just set up on this shot and it was just the three of us where we're eating the icy poles. Yes. Yeah, we yeah, make yeah. the decision to go. But if you turn the camera around, there's probably about 800 locals <gasps> and all this police trying to keep everybody quiet and everybody in like. But he made this massive lap around the whole thing really? and finished it up at the end of the day. And, you know, meanwhile I'm able to go in costume sitting at the end of the day and have a beer in the same courtyard with all these, you know, young guys that just wanted to chat and hang out because um, I spoke a bit of Spanish kind of um, Portuguese. But you're watching somebody else make, you know, this, yeah, that was beyond special. Oh, can I ask one question as well? And I keep saying one more question, but uh, <laughs> is it true when you guys shot the rafter scene mm-hmm. that they were like, you've done your bronze medallion right if, Daniel falls in, are you right to jump in and yeah. save him? Yeah, a stunt coordinator who will rename unnamed, <laughs> who's like one of my best mates now because he, he's been on a couple of things with me now and, um, yeah, we we were hyper aware of it the whole entire time. He's like, if anything happens, you're the point guy, like grab him. Um, just because without him the movie doesn't happen. Of course. You know? And also he went through a massive physical transformation but I, I heard you did as well. Uh, did you have to like cut down quite a bit for that role? And I imagine you would yeah. have for Charles Bean as well. I did for Charles. I did for Peter. I've done it annoyingly for like so many things. But it's that thing of like you're six foot three, so you put on heaps of weight and you get to like 98 kilos of muscle. So you walk into rooms and people are like, whoa, you could be the next superhero. You're like, yeah, let, yeah, let me do that. <laughs> yeah. um, but then you've also got this part of you that is really malleable to go and do those other things and um, more often than not they're – well, you know, Peter was one where we used, I, you know, my sister is a nutritionist. So we use that and we diet healthily so you're not losing weight. Totally. But I remember rocking up to the shoot in Gallipoli for, in Adelaide and Penny Chapman, the producer, was like, when was the last time you ate, sweetheart? 
Because oh. we did. But the, the thing is I'm so self-conscious about being a tall, broad man that I know that even, you know, five kilos of muscle on camera will be massive compared to, you know, I don't mean to bit when you stand next to Hugh Dancy or like the scene in Jungle when we're, when we're um, in the river bathing. Um, <laughs> you still Are you talking about the ripped. nudie bit where everyone saw bit. you guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You still look absolutely kind of really, you look a bit jacked because you're so just kind of lean. Lean, And yeah. you're also standing next to guys who are shorter than you. And it's yeah. really, so I'm super conscious of that and I try to make sure that in the picture of the thing, it, one person doesn't stand out. Got you. Yeah. If that makes sense. And a lot of people are like, that doesn't matter, but to me that's really important. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. There's so much more to it. Like I think one thing that Ian Sinclair says as well, and I do want to get on to, I know you've done theatre too, and he said the most common question you get asked at a Q&A thing at the end of like the, uh, is it the premiere kind of performance? That You know that performance yeah. where people can have a Q&A with the cast and director? He goes, the most common question we get asked is how do actors remember their lines? And he's like, that is literally what people think. They don't realise there's all this plethora of work yeah. and, you know, like yeah. you tap dancing for two hours every day or, you know, like yeah, it, 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 it's, it's so amazing and that's why I'm so um, grateful to have you here because I just love learning all this kind of like behind the scenes kind of snippet. I, I love the character Rich Uncle Brian from H for <laughs> Happiness. <laughs> Did you have fun in that? That looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, and and to me that was the first time that I could then, when that movie would come out, I could watch it with my nieces and nephews, you know, like that would be, and like a lot of my time in family, we've got a massive family. Dad's the oldest of nine um, and they've all got kids and they've all had kids. So there's just like our family is massive. And we've always spent Christmases at caravan parks and stuff like that, you know. Mm. And so for me in the back of my mind of like if I do a good job of this, the funny thing will be I'll be hanging around with my niece and nephews and some other kid will be like, that's Rich Uncle Brian. Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of my goal. My goal was and I thought about it in that thing of having a fun time with it, go and, and just be the blast, be the blast of fresh air and warmth that every kid wants yeah. And every kid kind of just wants to have and and knowing what it feels like when I see my uncles or aunties or my yeah. godparents and that joy and, and knowing that you're playing in a world that it's almost Wes Anderson yes. meets um, Australiana, you know. Yeah. But knowing that I'd kind of done a lot of serious things and a lot of dramatic portrayals of stuff and this was my first chance to be the kooky, goofy guy that I know that I am. Yeah. And that was a joy and, and talking to John Sheedy, the director, about it and Barry Johnsberg who wrote the book and um, adapting those little things like his head twitch and the quirk and, you know, at one point in the book he has a moustache and I was like, can we get him like a pencil moustache? <laughs> like a super awkward drawn-on one, you know, like. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, well, what about weird sideburns? And like, no. I was like, well, what about a walking stick? And like, no. I was like, what about a coin? <laughs> And behind the scenes there's all this stuff of me flicking a coin but, like, you never see it. There mm. wasn't included but John loved it and it was that thing of going, if it works, we'll use it. If not, you'll never see it. And I was like, oh, okay. And you know that stuff going into some productions where directors have an idea, producers have a big idea and yeah. the actor wants to add their flavour. Yeah. And on uh, on Deadline Gallipoli they let me do that because everything 
was meticulous and accounted for. There was no prop that I couldn't just walk over and grab and yes. use. And that was a big thing for me. It was like I don't want to have a backpack and then open it up and there'd be foam inside. Yeah, of course. Um, as, as kind of normally happens. And then same thing with Peter Allen. You know, there'd be lunch breaks where everyone would have their lunch break and Sean's seat and Bruiser and I, Bruiser was a DOP, would have, you know, a snack because I wasn't eating much. We'd have a 10-minute sit down and a coffee and then be like, do you want to go shoot some stuff in the change room? And we'd go and shoot. Ah. You know, because they're going, we want to know what kind of your portrayal of this guy is and your and then there were moments with jungle where you're going, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And people are going, don't. Don't open your fucking bag. Like, don't do that. Don't do this. Just stand there, you know. You're like, oh, fine. Okay. Um, so yeah. cool. Thank, like, I'm wrapped you're sharing all this. I watched an interview yesterday with John Sheedy and he described your character as the anchor for, like, of the show because you, the movie, should I say, because you, um, were almost like the happy place for what was the little girl's character's yeah, for name? Candace, for Candace. Yeah, you were kind of the anchor for her because you were like the comfort, happy, and whereas her parents obviously facing grief. And so you, as were you, but she, he described your character really nicely. And it, it was almost like you were the, you would relieve the pressure, I guess, in some way. Totally. And I, I love that thought too because I do, a, I try to do a lot of work with, um, with like Australian Children's Music Foundation or Red Kite Charity or just doing work with kids because I think that is a really important relationship and I know how much people gave me when I was a kid and I was really lucky to have those things and that warmth and my dad's a primary school principal, my mum's always been in teaching or around kids, my whole family's been around teachers and that sense of like, you know, seeing my dad who's this huge built dude, like he's 63 and he's still got abs, like he's jacked. And he's a huge guy, rides like a massive Harley into his primary school every day and gets off and is like, g'day kids, how are you? And it's a yeah. massive beard and kids love him and he's just this big ball of warmth and life goes on underneath it all but there's a safe place there. And mm. that to me was really fun to play as a, as a guy now kind of with family and mm. um yeah, I still we still chat with Daisy, Daisy Axon, who played Candace, and she still yeah. calls me Uncle Brian and like hang cute. out and very yeah. cute. I had a lot of joy playing that, a lot of joy. Yeah. And now to flick to something a little bit heavier, mm. Safe Harbor. Oh yeah. I I watched a fair few chunks of it because there's so much great stuff on YouTube, and I was like, whoa, this would have been really confronting to to be in. Yeah, it was full on and. I, th- I think the joy was confronting your ignorance too with a project like yeah. that, confronting something you think like, yeah, I'm not a lefty but like I like to stay educated and I would think that I'd know about certain things with, within our recent history of, of migrants to Australia. Totally. Um, and what's going on in the bigger picture and then you kind of get slapped with the reality and your ignorance uh, when you're working with people whose families would have been in the same shit or have been in the exact same situation. And they're bringing their parents to set to watch this stuff. And you're going, oh, whoa, okay, cool. And you're confronted with privilege and you're confronted with your own sense of kind of what what you've been told. Um, so it was as much as a, a really great um, education, uh, as much as it was when you're shooting those moments out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you've, you're towing a boat that's full with extras. Um 
who are like, you know, the majority of people, there was a brilliant actor who comes on board the boat. Um, da- oh God, what's his last name? David. Sorry, mate. Um, but he comes on board the boat and be, like begs for water or begs for food. And he only had just come across. Uh, he only had just uh, been led into Australia and, and had been here and wanted to become an actor and had been an actor. And wow. you're going, my God, my God. Like that was wonderful. And then also to speak with uh, Nicole and Robert Robert and um, Nazem, like you're, you're speaking to beautiful actors mm. who without this kind of storytelling or content wouldn't have jobs. Yeah. And that was a big slap in the face too of being like, oh, but if you're a great actor, you'll find work. And it's like, no, these things have to exist for that person to have work. And you go, oh, my God, okay, well, this is why representation needs to change. Um, totally. But the, the content itself and getting a chance to be um, in, that, in that gamut of actor who is, you know, 10 years older. Yeah. Was beautiful. And again, I think this is why I feel like an apprentice a lot of the times because I'm working with older actors. Um, well, even like Phoebe Tolkens was on that show and she's massive in, she's in the originals. Like she's a yeah. powerhouse. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, Phoebe, how are you going? Like, I don't uh, have any. Really? Me, I was like, like whoa. Were, <laughs> yeah. No, like you and Leslie to me was like, because I'd seen him in my very first play that I'd seen when I moved to Sydney. Yeah. And, um, and that's my second time working with him. And in the because he was in Deadline and I was the lead in that and he was um, young Murdoch. Yes. And then yeah. in this I was kind of his support to his story, do you know? Uh, yeah. And to watch him every day and to go to set. My game with Glendon Ivan was I'd dress up all in black and go to set as like a grip and help out the Alexa and just kind of do bits and pieces and but wear earphones so that I could listen to what was happening on the set and what oh, actors were being told and then just so I could learn what was happening because Glendon's direction and the way that he works was really interesting. Um, and I just felt like that was also a very modern way of working and I mm. wanted to learn more about it. Um, it was very subtle. Um, yeah, and then at lunchtime you just kind of get into his eye line and be like, hey, he's like, oh, <laughs> fuck, you're here again. What are you doing? Um, can I ask a question about a scene I saw from Safe Harbor? Your character gets like pretty brutally bashed up. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. so is that like, this might sound like a really naive question, but do you, but is it like co- good choreography and then great makeup? How does that go down? Yes, pretty, pretty much. Big, yeah. Yes. So Jimmy, um, my big, he's a New Zealander boy. Jimmy lives in the Gold Coast. There's lots of those bigger films that shoot in Brisbane and stuff. Um, he was our stunty. Amazingly talented guy um, and basically the brutality we wanted to get for Robert's character was that he was ex-Special Forces in Afghanistan. So we wanted to yes. see that kind of like just choreography of just brutality, just yeah. shiv- like sheer force. And Cora Monteblanc, who is a Canadian woman who's amazing, she was makeup um, and it's just really good makeup mixed with great choreography and mm. Sam Chippy, who was the cinematographer, going for angles where you're going to get confronted by. So when he rolls over and he spits out all the blood on the floor, mm. you know, a lot of this, a lot of Safe Harbor was never shot on sticks. So you've got Sam awkwardly behind a couch next to a wall oh, wow. in a position that you couldn't scrap anything out of the way. You didn't have time to. He just kind of like stunk in and like, <laughs> like put his back in a really awkward place and got the shot. So yeah, and then also being trusted even though there is the possibility of having a stunty that you can um, 
that you can get that story across, that, that yeah. you can do it, you know. Because the ending, like I watched that scene randomly just the other day when I was cutting showreel stuff. I saw that when he stumbles down the staircase and walks away. Yeah. And I got in my head, I'm like, why are you stumbling? Like it's, you just got punched in the head. You didn't get kicked in the legs or anything. I'm like, what are you? So I love a, that you that you analysed yourself after the fact though. Like I love that you've watched it. Oh. I'm the worst. I hate watching myself now but. I used to. I didn't. I didn't mind it normally, but now I'm like, hmm. Why are you doing that? You got hit in the head. Like, what are you? Yeah. Can I ask a really technical question? And the reason I want to ask is this: is I've heard you speak to it, and Cody Fern as well speaks to it, and you've talked about learning when um, on set, like on set, mid kind of like shoot when lenses get changed, and mm. understanding okay, I can move a little bit more this way when that lens is on. Like, And Cody always says, he's like, know your lenses, understand what lens they're using. And I was like, holy Mac, there is so much more yeah. to this. And you think, and I think you mentioned in the interview I heard was where you were learning, you really were aware of that on Deadline Gallipoli and there was an actor that you just watched go, yeah. just they, they turned a little bit more one angle when the lens Sam got changed. Worthington. Yeah. Sam Worthington would do it. And I think, and I watched Avatar again during quarantine. And I, oh, I sincerely think it's because he's, yeah, it's so insanely good. And yeah. I think it's because of working with guys like James Cameron and yeah. and knowing that there is a, a massive difference, a beautiful difference when it's then going to be played on a screen that's, you know, five times this, the height of a house. Right. Because you've got to think about it that way. It's like if you're doing film, I remember talking to Thomas Kretschmann and he's like, stop blinking. I'm like, what? It's like, you're blinking a lot. I'm like, yeah, because it's dusty. And he's like, yeah, just try not to because when you blink, it feels like it's nothing for us but your eye's going to be three foot. Of course. So it's going to be really disturbing to see. It's kind of like this wall going up and down. It's like just hold your eye open. It's going to be more more picturesque. Um, Who would have thought that though? Do you know what I mean? Like that's what's oh, so totally. fascinating and about, yeah, the lenses and I guess it sounds like you – working with different people, different directors, di- different, are they called DOP? What are the people that are in charge? Yeah, DOPs. You've got yeah. your, your DOPs and your cines, so they're your kind of go-to. But then same thing you're picking apart guys like your gaffs and, and picking apart. Like talking to, um, my favourite is talking to those people behind the mechanism of the camera so that you, I know that I'm servicing my grip. If yeah. my grip yeah. has to do a move on a dolly and get the timing right, yeah. I'm going to be, when everybody else is setting up and they're going, Joel, can we just get this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've just got to mark through this with Mark. So, Mark, you want to walk with me? And he'll just walk and we'll do it once or twice and be like, okay, cool, now we're going to get it. And people are going, you know, the people might think you're wasting time. But to me that's like if we know what we're doing together, the shot's never going to be a failure. Yes, And Mark. the shot is is what is happening in this, like that's the difficult part of this move is that rather than me picking up a prop or saying a line. That's easy. Mm. But that technical move is difficult. So let's rehearse that rather than just jump in because otherwise we're doing it five times before. Yeah, there's totally. There's definitely different things and, and different stuff to focus on for different productions. And some things, you know, with Miss Fisher season one, there was a moment in episode two where I wanted, no, episode three, where I wanted to know something and the director felt like I was asking too many questions and that that would get in the way of my acting. And you kind of got to go then, well, it doesn't. You've heard, you've heard those stories though like um, Blue Jasmine with Woody oh, Allen and Kate yeah. Blanchett and she was like, should I 
go to the vodka, like she was asking about going to the vodka class, like because she's got that Blanche-esque, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a Blancheness about her character and and she just finished playing Blanche from Streetcar and oh, so wow. she was like, oh, with the, she'd asked a very specific question about the vodka glass and he turned around and said something like, stop asking me questions, you're being insecure, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, there's so, a big thing. Yeah, there's a, there's a, and that's the thing with the lenses. I'm, I'm all for knowing and understanding it, but even the same as, um, oh, who was I listening to the other day? Uh, filmmaker who then went on set was going to be like, oh, God, a director who was an actor who then, no, actor, director went on set, started doing stuff and never wanted to be the guy who was like, oh, that's what you're shooting it on? That's Oh, that's an interesting take. Okay, oh. That's what you're going to do? <laughs> because yeah. once you know and once you've like, I've made two short films now and, and made other things and you know that when there's a certain thing but you don't, in that realm, you got to go, well, I'm actor today. I don't ask that. Yeah, questions. yeah. got to shut my mouth. It's not my place. This is my role. We're a team. They will under- They will get that done. It's not my problem. My problem is this. I think um, it's about reading the play too. Like I've done totally. ad campaigns and I'm like, oh, what are you shooting on? And they're like, she wants to know. Okay. And, that, and it'll often be a bit of fun on set. But yeah. I guess it also depends on reading the play. Like is it really, is there space and time for that? Because obviously like. Time is oh, money, especially with all this. Time and space. It's such a good way. Where um, a fight choreographer who taught me it, Nida and a clown teacher, it's one of my favourite things at time and space. He's like, what is it that makes a fight or, or um, how do you fight? Like what do you use when you're fighting? I'm like, well, your body. And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, your mind. He's like, no. I'm like, okay, well, what? And he goes, time and space. Mm. Because you're trying to either take time away from them or give them time or give yourself time or take space or, or give yourself space. Like you're backing up to give yourself space and time to react or you're coming uh-huh. in to remove space from them and take time from them so that you can enact. Um, yeah, oh. it's such a big thing to think about. You're like, oh, it's only that, you know, and same thing is when time and space, if you're being rushed as an actor, know that you can ask for that time and the space. Or know totally. that on your call sheet if you've got eight scenes that day and you're doing it in the first scene of the day, maybe you're doing it because you're trying to find rhythm. Maybe you're doing it because you're nervous about something at the end of the day. So if you just jump into this one, by the end of the day, you'll have that time and space to go, I just need two minutes. Yeah. And everyone oh. on set will go, okay, cool, because you've been at it for 12 hours, so let's give you this chance. Um do you know yes. we've been going for nearly an hour and I could totally keep talking to you. I quickly want to ask oh about theatre because you were in the MTC production of uh, Born, Born Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. I, so I got to see there's some really great stuff online about the costumes. Was it so much fun doing like a post-war a place at post-war? Yeah, like to- that. And, and is it America as well? Was it in Washington? Yeah, or? it's in Washington, yeah. And, and a lot of what I've done is, is really beautifully made. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. Safe Harbour and Mystery Road um, were the first or probably like one of the only ones where it's much more modern and just kind of get him a good blazer and a nice grey T-shirt and, you know, not that there's yeah. not a thought in that but yeah. when you're doing these beautiful pieces, even with Rich Uncle Brian where they are oh, yeah. really Fun beautiful costumes. and luscious and, and, you have, and you have a lot of input, you know, and same as the suits uh, and the the makers at MTC are amazing, you know, some incredibly ah. talented people. And what they made for Christy Willen-Brown and her set pieces and nighttime gowns and, you know, the maid costumes and, and the suits were, were amazing and beautiful. So that was a ton of fun. And 
I really want to do more theatre. You know, I'd, I'd really love to. And I think I'm lucky in that my agents both here and overseas are all for that. They get it. They get that it fuels me and that it's something I really want to do. You know, the dream job is to do... Uh, Daniel Craig was shooting 007 with Judy Dench, yeah. the dame, and in the evenings was doing a play with her on the West End. Oh, wow. That's you a know? pretty good dream. That's like, man, you're busy as hell, but that's that's kind of the, the level I want to get to and, and to be able to do that um, here in Australia when, when when production starts up again in our studios are, are full flight and really big, you know, that would be a dream come true. But it, it was a beautiful thing to be back in a I've heard your dream. I've heard your dream is to be in a western and oh, play. Is it yeah. Magneto's son? The uh, is it oh, Michael, Michael Fassbender? Yeah, yeah, man. I think we get along really well. No, yeah, I <laughs> no. could see that. This is I just could me see being that. Like you know, that's a dream. That's a dream. <laughs> that's like I'm all for. Um, what is it? That manifestation thing. Like, totally. Yeah, or totally. Even, you know, to be Hugh Jackman's son in something would be insane. But well, you've already got the Peter Allen thing in common there. Yeah, yeah. Right? And but those, yeah, a Western would be amazing. A Western set in Pilbara, you know, instead of in Australia that's yeah. all otherworldly and a little bit apocalypto or. Oh, yeah. George Miller is another big ticket item that I really want to really get in just because I, I, same thing, he's so detailed. He's so expansive. Mm. You just kind of feel like you're actually, there's no acting required because you're in his world. Yeah. Fully um, immersed. Do you and you said earlier you kind of want to go. I know we're in COVID kind of lockdown globally at the moment, but mm. the plan is probably a bit of UK after this. Yeah, once it all kind of settles a bit, um, yeah, maybe go back there because I got my visa and and my team is amazing there. Um, so good. And, and I think to you, as much as you can test from anywhere in the world now because it's flat because of technology. Um, you still there. There still is a massive thing that comes from being on the ground and, and showing up. And your mate respect. Charles dances there, so yeah. I think it's a no-brainer. I, I saw on your Instagram yesterday the trailer for I Met a Girl. So is that that by the time yeah. this comes out, it will already be out in America, but Australia will be next year. Is that right? Australia will be next year, um, and that is something I'm really proud of too. I mean, that was yeah, that was hard work because it. I'd never thought of acting as therapy ever, ever. Um, I, I thought it was a really selfish way to view an art form because uh, it's not for you, it's for other people. Mm. And during that shoot I lost my mum's mum and my dad's dad, so my granddad and my nan, within the space of like three weeks. Oh. Um, and it was remarkably tough, you know, like yeah. I'd never, yeah, it was huge to see the kind of uh, cornerstones of both families. Yeah. Um, and see the fallout from that and be there on the ground and then actually have to be this strong character for this other story. Um, did it change tough. what you did? Did it change? It would have changed your experience, but it, do you think it changed your portrayal of the character? Yeah, definitely. And I think what was great about it is that um, if there's a great thing about that, like what, what it did is that I'm normally quite an energetic up-and-go kind of guy. Mm. I'm quite... But I can tame that and put it into a portrayal of something that's more relaxed and subtle and calm. But in this instance, like life just hit me mm. and it really slowed me down and it really opened me up to the script and it really opened me up to what was happening in the moment and talking to Luke, Eve, the director, and to the brothers, the Dolman brothers, writer and producer, Adam and Glenn, um, and seeing the bigger picture and talking to people who have been carers for 
um, their family members who are schizophrenic and dealing with mental health issues and, yeah, was like, oh, wow, there's a lot more outside of what you kind of want to do as active with character and slowing down and going, oh, life isn't always easy or life isn't always pretty made me then uh, open it up to other people's empathy. I know that sounds really silly but it made me slow down and go, oh, other people are in pain too. And I think one thing that I'm 34 and I think that one thing you learn around that like late 20s, early 30s is you learn a lot about mortality. And, you know, in your early 20s you're like, I'm immortal, I've got all this time, I'm going to do everything and I'm going to live these dreams. And uh, and I think when you get really real about, whoa, and it's there's a famous quote and it's, by Sir uh, Patrick Stewart, oh, one of beautiful. the OGs, and he said he realised at 60 he was like, I'm, I'm not going to live long enough to read everything that I want to read. And so he said, now I get up every day and I read for an hour before I do anything oh, else. Oh, wow. And he, if you follow him on Instagram, he does a sonnet a day. Yeah, he's my favourite. <laughs> and, and he'll be like, I'm oh, sorry, I'm just, I'm, he'll be like, I'm just, um, he was making dinner prep and he was de-shelling these beans while doing a sonnet <laughs> on his Instagram. Phenomenal. But I think when I heard that I was like, oh, wow, like I th- we're so lucky to still be young enough to kind of like grab all these opportunities. And I think as shit as understanding and being very aware of your own mortality, it's also a really big gift to, to really grab life and go for it, which I believe you do. Oh, thanks. And and I'm with you. There's this amazing thing that uh, I was just at a youth mental health forum a couple of weeks ago and the there was a man who was a psychologist, a children's psychologist who was talking in one of the opening speeches and he goes, change that mindset from I have to to I get to. Mm. Like I get to wake up every day and even though this is a really shit time at the moment for so many artists, like I get to read this or I get to watch this show, I get to... Um, think about what I want to do next. I get to have time to plan rather than be forced to move. I get to, that's a wonderful thing. And mm. and you're dead right. Like that awareness, it doesn't take away from it. It really adds to it. It doesn't, it shouldn't uh, cripple you. It should make you like in awe of life. It should. Totally. Well, hopefully. I mean, there's some moments where I'm like. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Probably, I, you know. I had a gr- I have a green card and I was on a flight oh, on the 13th no. of March oh. to activate my green card and I'm like it's literally sitting in this like waiting limbo game now and it's, yeah. I feel very grateful to be in Australia but it's also very frustrating when you've worked three years to get a green card. Totally, you know? totally. I had, a, I had a friend, exact same thing. Um, she just spent 10 grand on a, on, a, yeah. on a renewal of a visa and then it was like next week, bang. Yeah, um, it's, but at the same time, so many, and you will know this as a creative, so much beautiful stuff has come out of this time and I think often it's not until you look back and go, wow, like look what happened, look at all that epic stuff I was able to create, right, you're a writer as well. I didn't even talk about your music career. Uh, Do you know I saw on your Instagram you did some stuff with Little Green. Yeah, Amy Nelson. Yeah, super um, talented musician. Bosso, who you met earlier, Matt, has produced yeah. with her. 
And I was oh, like, really? Yeah. So it was like, I lo- and she pulls the flute out. She's wonderful. Yeah, I remember seeing her. We did a gig uh, randomly through a booking agent where she was in the first half, I did the second half. Yeah. And I normally get there early just to watch the act and kind of support because often yeah. when you're doing a pub gig, you know, people aren't, it's a pub gig, you know. Yeah. It depends on what, what it is. Um, but I rocked up and she blew me away. Ah. Oh. She was so phenomenal. And so and young. She's yeah, so, so young. young. And I got her on board for my EP launch in Sydney and she was great. Everyone left kind of being like, hey, Amy. I was like, no, yeah. it was my EP launch, you <laughs> fuck. Like, but um, no, she's so talented. She's got yeah. such an amazing future. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's yeah. The same thing as doing accent work. You know, she wakes up every day and she produces. She wakes up every day. She yeah. makes music. Yeah. She plays a myriad of instruments. She keeps learning. She's, you always. And- yeah. I that's what I've kind of picked up about you. Your and I promise I won't keep you for much longer, but your work ethic is because I was like, how does this guy? He's got podcasts, music, actor, writer, producer, <laughs> like how? I'm like, how? And I saw an interview where you said at NIDA you kind of evoked this monk like discipline. You have done your research. I'm kind of blown away about how much you've dug up. <laughs> but um, I mean, I feel like you probably need that as an actor. Yeah, and I still try to I still try to Inhabit it in some way. I'm a bit of an introvert. Uh, intro, yeah. What is it? Introverted extrovert. No. Yeah. 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 Where I like to be quiet, but I can be. I get that. I do take a lot of time where I'm like, I just want to sit. I just want to sit and read this thing or contemplate this thing or like sit and watch that or go and be here for four days. Um, How much would you put down to work? Like, because. To work ethic? Yeah. All of it. All yeah. Of it. yeah. 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 All of it. And there so isn't a moment when people are like, yeah, when people go like, oh, it must be nice, I'm like, dude, you have no idea. And and work ethic and sacrifice There's and yeah. risk. There's a lot of risk. You know, I remember getting the phone call from um, Kath Lavelle, who was my publicist, and, and more of like my, not my show mum, but she was, I was all very new to this stuff and she was kind of holding my hand through all these events and stuff that I had no idea about or was getting my first introduction to. And I'm open about this stuff because, I feel like when we sugarcoat it and make it weird is when people kind of have these grand illusions about it all. But um, when I remember getting the phone call to say, you've won an actor. Um, can you come home? You know, you're going to be here because I was in LA and I didn't want to come back. And they're like, well, you need to come back because you have to pick it up. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll come back. But I was in um, a really tiny apartment in East Hollywood and there was like just been a shooting out on the street or something mm. and I'd never felt more alone and you know, was just at the bottom of my wits going, what am I doing? What am I doing? Am I doing what I want to do? Or I'm like, I'm really alone. I don't know anyone here. It was my first time in LA and it was very strange. And you've got to calculate that risk, whether it be like a personal sacrifice to take yourself out of a comfort zone to expand or to learn or to experience something that pushes you in another way. Um, If you're not willing to do that stuff, you're just going to be kind of but in, in in saying that too, there is a massive wealth of being in one place for an extended period of time, growing your communication, growing your mm. tool set, growing your, your core group of creators because I definitely can feel like I've done a lot of risk and sacrifice again and hard work on the road and making stuff up as you go along. Mm. But then I look at other creators who are have gone the other way and have stayed and grown this group of friends who are now creators that make amazing stuff and you're like, oh, well, that's really valuable. That is really valuable too. But it comes both share that bloodline of work ethic. 
Totally. I'm with you though. I like gypsy life. I like feeling like I'll be here for a bit. I'll be here for a bit and learning from as many people as you can. Okay. I have for the 50th time, I've stolen so much of your time. I have to quickly do a shout out for Polish Man because we're both ambassadors, which is why I got to have you on this podcast. Yeah, no, totally. So that's all about ending violence against children. It's an incredible campaign. Is this your first year doing Polish Man or have you done it It is, years? yeah, it is my first year. Me too. Hey, hey. I know. So they're wonderful. I've seen you've got a link in your Insta bio to jump on board and support. I do as well. Um, wonderful, wonderful charity. Please get involved. And is there anything else you want to share? Because I know there's still more we could have covered. So I know that this is coming out on the 12th of November or around about that. So if there's anything you want to share, you know, because of the time yeah. lapse. No, no, totally. Um, we there's Those things won't be able to be watched yet. They won't be coming okay. out in Australia. But if you if you do want to find out any more about the music or or find that other part of me, it's a very... Paul Kelly, Neil Young, Jack Johnson, you kind of trip. It that's, is. That's called Boy on a Wire. That's on Spotify and Apple Music and other platforms, wherever you find your music. Um, so what do you reckon? Is a bit of a comedy podcast we've oh, come out of yes. COVID with where it's just a, a bit of a laugh, like it's two friends who debate and discuss a topic that means absolutely nothing <laughs> um, but with uh, like a ton of banter and a ton of really good puns and jokes that I think – just give us a little bit of something. It's just something. light. It's nice and light. Yeah, it's a piss take, which is really fun. Um, and, yeah, I suppose check out Polished Man and if you do have the time or if you are in a position where you might be working with a bunch of men or, um, you know, your workspace or your family, to just bring that up and, totally. and ask them if they wanted to be a part of it. All you have to do is, you know, polish one nail. Um, Have you done? I've got it. I've got mine on. I know. I had to take it off because I had to do an audition yesterday oh. and have my hand. So I was like, well, I can't do that. Um, but it, it is something that is, uh, I'm sure it's with you, but when you not only look at the statistics, but even just think about um, the po- the possibility and potential of domestic violence during a time like this, and especially yeah. on fragile families and um you know, the most fragile members of our communities being children. Mm. Um, it's a really wonderful thing that YGAP and, and Polished Man are, are raising this awareness and raising funds to put towards great initiatives. So if you can support, please go and check it out. Joel Jackson, you are wonderful. Hey. I, uh, You've made my day. I was actually really nervous to this podcast. Really? To be honest. Why? Because because you've done you you've done so much incredible stuff and I was oh, it consuming it all going oh my goodness what a legend so um, yeah total honour my no, friend thank total honour thanks for having me and and thanks for that conversation I think it's really great and thanks for the research and the kind of that <laughs> respect is really felt so thank you I think any chance we have to kind of hear someone else's story and and realize that there's no one kind of trodden path with anything yeah. in this acting world is like. Oh, cool! Steal some inspiration from someone and use it in your own kind of uh, craft or discovery of your craft, for sure. Absolutely, you are wonderful. I cannot wait to see what's next for you. Please stay in touch. Thank you, Lola. We'll do. You too. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests, and let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate, and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm-hmm.